impressed with everything that I've learned. Um, learned about the project here, the club, the creation of the club, uh, starting from the owners of the club, the, the Taylor family, Jack Taylor Enterprise, just you know, every single step of the journey, you start researching, you start speaking to people, asking questions. And there were so many moments where I was just uh, you know, getting off a phone call or getting off an interview and thinking, wow, that was a lot more interesting than I, than I knew of. Um, and and you know, there's so many things going for this project with um, the ownership, as I said, of course, the infrastructure that's been built is amazing. Here we are overlooking City Park, which is one of the most beautiful stadiums I can imagine. Uh, the training ground, uh, you know, of course, the, you know, the brand, um, you know, the excitement of the fan base. You know, there's so many things that are unique about this. And of course, the fact that it's a brand new club. Welcome to a new edition of the City Voice podcast. I am joined by another very, very special guest, uh, Diego Gigliani, president of St. Louis City SC. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Thanks, Pete, very much. You pronounced my last name perfectly. I'm so, so glad. I'm so a bit, bit of panic in the system there. Very nice to be here and uh, finally be a participant in one of these rather than just a listener of one of these. So glad you listened. I hope you gave a little five-star review. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I like to hear. Great. <laughs> um, we're going to cover, you know, you've got a, a, a really interesting career and backstory. want to find out a little bit about where you grew up. The people of St. Louis love those stories. Um, but we get into the super serious part of the podcast. This is called The Fun Round. And I'm going to ask you some questions, only honest answers. The internet will know uh, if you deviate. Uh, tea or Coffee. Coffee. Coffee, all that time in England, and, yeah. and they, they couldn't yeah. convert you. Yeah, you know, I could never get close to a, a tea with milk. Impossible. No. Tea, I could do. But tea with milk, never never managed to get into it. But coffee would be my preference. How do you have your coffee? Cappuccino, Cappuccino. skim milk. Did you have a favorite place in, in Manchester? Uh, there was a favorite place that was close to where we lived in Didsbury, Manchester. Yeah. Uh, you know, Great, nice, local, independent place where we'd love to go for coffee. Fantastic. Um, which soccer team do you support that is not St. Louis City SC? Uh, Argentina national team. Yeah? Yeah. You're trying to get me to pick a club? I was trying to get you to pick a club, yeah. yeah. Trying, to, trying to get some say, salaciousness uh, in there. You know, I would say Man City. It would have to be Man yeah. City. Good, yeah. Well, that, that hurts as an <laughs> Arsenal fan. Um, what is your favorite productivity app? Um, teams. Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams, okay. I think since COVID, that's just taken over, uh, well, it took over my life for, for several years. Most listened to artist of 2023 so far? Probably Coldplay. Coldplay? Yeah, very went nice. to a couple of their concerts and, uh, and getting ready for it, listened to it a lot. Fantastic. Um, secret skill people do not know about? Um, good amount of people know about it now, but I, I play the piano. I've played the piano since I was 10 or 11 years old. I don't play very often, um, obviously uh, not uh, something that you uh, show very often. But yeah, I play the piano. I played a little bit of guitar too. What sort of a piano are you? A, a classical guy or are you like... What I mostly like doing is to um, improvise around chords to songs that I like to listen to. Uh, so no, not really a classical guy. Um, did some classical training and some jazz uh, piano playing. But since I don't play very often, you kind of lose that skill a little bit. What I like to do is just kind of sit down on an evening and uh, find some chords to songs that I like, and I just improvise around them and and uh, and enjoy the songs. That is a good skill. Um, cat or dog? Dog. 
Are you going to get a dog in St. Louis? Hope not. <laughs> but you know, the kids, they, they, they're, they're the bosses. So you know, never, never quite sure. Running or cycling? Running. You, you a big runner? I wouldn't call myself a big runner. A big runner has a certain uh, standards that you'd have to meet to be called a big runner. Um, but you know, I've done a few half marathons, a few one uh, triathlon, but never done a marathon before. And if you're going to call yourself a big runner, you have to have done at least one, probably several, maybe even an Ironman. No? Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, favorite possession that is also a flex. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite, but a recent one would be when I left City Football Group, I was given a, a great farewell gift, which was a framed um, signed Man City shirt next to a Argentina shirt with my name on it. So that felt, felt very, um, very nice as a farewell gift that also shows that they know me well and wanted to appreciate the time spent there. Oh, that's great. And best player you've ever seen that is not Messi or Cristiano? Maradona. You saw Maradona? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I was at the game where um, Maradona uh, was taken off the pitch after the game in the 1994 World Cup in the US. I think it was Argentina. I don't remember if it was Greece or Nigeria. I think it was... I think it was Nigeria, um, where he then tested positive and was banned from the rest of the World Cup. Um, so yeah, I saw that game, um, and uh, you know, seen him on TV a million times, and was the an introduction to football for me. That's fantastic. I mean, maybe not the you know what happened after. Um, <laughs> Diego, it is great to have you on the show. Um, you're you're finally here. Um, have you, have you moved over with your, with your family? Is everybody here with you now? Yeah, everyone's here with me now. Um, the family, my wife and the kids moved over this last weekend. Uh, I arrived on July 4th, uh, very symbolic arrival on U.S. Uh, Independence Day. Uh, I was landing, it was probably maybe 9 or 10 p.m. and literally outside the window uh, of the airplane, there were fireworks going off all over the city. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was a really nice way to arrive and it's nice to be back because I did live in the U.S. for... Um, probably over 15 years in my life, uh, but it has been 10 years since I've lived here last. Uh, so it's nice to be back, and it's also nice to arrive at this club, at this city, and of course to have a family here. You exited your, your old job on one of the biggest highs that are possible in soccer. Um, what, was, what was that like for you with Manchester City for a long time? Yeah, it was an incredible way to leave, really. I mean, I'm so, so uh, happy and so lucky to have been able to leave uh, after that uh, huge milestone. No, at the end, it, was, it wasn't just winning the Champions League, the first Champions League in the club's history, but also winning the treble. And it just felt like this great culmination of uh, so many people's uh, dedication and hard work, um, you know, going from the owners all the way to every single member of staff, of course, players. Um, and it just felt like a really symbolic moment that captured the 10 years that I was at that organization in a really um, unforgettable moment where everyone is just feeling over the moon and everyone is uh, using those moments to reflect. No? And you think back at everything that we've been through and um, the, the journey that the club and the people have gone through and it was such a beautiful moment to be a part of. Did you get the chance to go to see the Champions League final? I did. I was there. Did you enjoy it or was it like, oh, this is painful? Yeah, you know, I, I think like, like many Man City fans, I think we uh, were hoping that the game was going to be 
um, more in our favor and more under control, but it wasn't as many finals are. Um, so there were definitely a lot of moments of nervousness during the game, uh, even up to the very end, uh, despite uh, having that one goal um, advantage. So, so yeah, the game was, was uh, I would say, a little bit less fun than I was hoping it was going to be, but the ending was amazing. And, of course, the celebrations afterwards were, were unique, and I even had the chance to be at the game with, with my wife and the kids and you know, super grateful for that opportunity and what they will uh, take with them for the rest of their lives will be uh, will be with them. No, it, it's it's a pretty incredible moment to have been able to do, uh, to to live together. So I'm going to hit you with a big question, nice and early. Um, you've got the probably got the choice of going to a lot of places. Um, why did you choose to come to St. Louis City SC to continue your you know, your career and journey in in soccer? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, lots of your listeners and you will probably be best place to understand why because you know the reality of what's being done here and what you guys have built uh, up to today. I think the interesting part is for all those that don't know about it and maybe are asking themselves that question and say, wait a second, you were at City Football Group, working at Man City and all these other clubs, winning Champions Leagues. Um, and uh, you know, all of a sudden you're going to St. Louis City. What's in St. Louis? No, um, But I think that's, the, that's one of the main reasons why I am here because when I did start looking into the project and learning about it, every single step of the way, I was just impressed with everything that I'd learned. Um, learned about the project here, the club, the creation of the club, uh, starting from the owners of the club, the, the Taylor family, Jack Taylor Enterprise, just you know, every single step of the journey, you start researching, you start speaking to people, asking questions. And there were so many moments where I was just um, you know, getting off a phone call or getting off an interview and thinking, Wow, that was a lot more interesting than I than I knew of, um, and and you know there's so many things going for this project with um, the ownership, as I said. Of course, the infrastructure that's been built is amazing. Here we are overlooking City Park, which is one of the most beautiful stadiums I can imagine. Uh, the training ground, uh, you know, of course the you know the brand, um, you know the excitement of the fan base. You know, there's so many things that are unique about this, and of course the fact that it's a brand new club. Um, but, but on top of that, which is kind of the core things around the club that made it interesting, there's also this broader context of the U.S. market, the time. Um, you know, the U.S. market is the largest sports market in the world. Um, you know, soccer or football, as I refer to it, I'm sure, a hundred times during the podcast. Still there. I'm still there. We can yeah. call it football today. All right, all right. No good. one can stop us. Good, good. Um, no beeping uh, while I, when, I, when I say football all the times. Um, but yeah, you know, you can see how football in, in the U.S. isn't, uh, one of the biggest sports, but is consistently growing uh, and has got so many huge international competitions coming up here in the U.S. Uh, obviously, Copa America, and now the Club World Cup, the, the, you know, the FIFA World mm -hmm. Cup. And it feels like this is a really special moment in time for the sport here in the U.S. Um, so that's also been an important factor in, in choosing to, to come. And then lastly, I would say on the personal side, it's getting to know the city, you no? Know, because at the end, it's a very personal decision as well of moving yourself and your family uh, to spend every day uh, in a in a completely new city. You've had to go through that decision yourself. Mm -hmm. Also coming from Europe, and um, and you know, again, I didn't know a lot about St. Louis um, before starting on this journey. But you you come visit it. You speak to people that are either from here or people that weren't from here but spent time here. And everything that I heard was really consistent. It is an amazing city to live in, especially great for kids. Um, so, you know, all those things came together and it felt like this was the right opportunity. 
what does the um what does the process look like um for for you getting to know the club and the club getting to know you does like one person make a phone call to you like is it uh is it a, is it a long interview process like how how do these things happen yeah i mean it's definitely you know these processes take many months um you know in this case it started with an executive search firm that contacted me um obviously carolyn uh, jason and lee uh had identified uh, what they needed and that executive search firm would have brought many different candidates to them um, and then I had the chance to introduce myself and explain a little bit about my background. And then it's just, you know, several different, um, at, at that point, most of them were um, video-based conversations. Um, obviously, I was based in, in the UK. And then as the process progressed on both of our sides, from the club side being interested and from my side as well, uh, we decided to then meet in person. Uh, and I flew over here to St. Louis, uh, spent some time with them and also with more people. Uh, especially around uh, the ownership group. Uh, and I got to see all this with my own eyes. I got to see the stadium. I got to see the training ground. I got to see the city, understand uh, you know, uh, areas to live in, schools, and come back home with a much more uh, well-rounded idea of what this could be like. You've got some experience of MLS already. Like you've, you, you, you understand um, the market. Is there anything in particular that excites you um, about it? Like is is there is there something brewing? I mean, obviously you you were here in 1994 yeah. for the World Cup when there was an expectation mm -hmm. it would things would bang. We're back here again two years out or three years out. Mm -hmm. um, what's what's different and what's exciting about the MLS right in this moment that would in, encourage you to move all the way from uh, Manchester yeah. to here? Yeah, I would say one of the. Uh, I'd say there's many different things that make it exciting. I think there's some of the usual things that have been exciting. Uh, for a long time, which is the potential of the market and for, for football to really crack it here. But I think there are some more specific data points over the last several years that make this a bit more interesting than other times. Um, I, I think the experience from at City Football Group with Man City, especially in my first several years uh, with the group, the focus on the U.S. market and the popularity of the Premier League in the U.S. really took off in the last 10 years since I've been, since I've been working at City Football Group, especially with the new NBC rights, new at the time, NBC uh, rights deal. Yeah. Um, there was just a lot more people watching football here. Um, and there was already people watching the national team, you know, the men's national team. Of course, the women's national team was one of the most successful national teams in the world. But, you know, European football started being watched more and more. Um, the Premier League, of course, uh, La Liga games, Champions League games. But then you go further and you see that the most watched football here is actually the Liga MX. And MLS has been growing consistently over all this time because more interest in football, then people want to consume football locally and go to a football game. And they've got uh, MLS teams in more cities uh, now than they've ever had before. So I think all of that has grown in the last 10 years. And then when you look specifically at the MLS, you see many more teams than there were obviously 10 years. And you see a lot of ownership groups that are really putting serious bets on football uh, changing dramatically in terms of its um, appeal in the in the U.S. and investing in infrastructure, investing in talent, uh, investing in operations of the team, even things like this, just taking the sport really seriously with a desire to make it one of the biggest sports in the in the country. Um, so all of that then creates this amazing fan culture that you see in stadiums with so many different uh, stadiums really coming to life with kind of organic. Um, traditions, and of course, a lot of uh, pride 
from all those different cities. And all that then creates this environment where players want to start coming here. Mm-hmm. And, and that I saw a lot, especially in my latest role uh, at City Football Group, where we were speaking to talent that could have been considering options between some of our non-Man City, City Football Group clubs and US MLS clubs. And speaking to players or agents where you know MLS clubs had a lot of appeal. Now, so you could just start seeing all these different things adding up. And then you bring Apple into the equation, Messi, World Cup. And there's just so much about the MLS now that feels like a really exciting place to be. So do you feel like those um, the, the foundations are strengthening? Um, there's better talent coming into the league. Mm. You've got Adidas, you've got Apple. And then the 2026 World Cup is coming into town. Do you, like, is it too simplistic to say that could be a, a real moment? Is yeah. that, a, a, or do you personally feel that as a, as a big World Cup fan yourself? I mean, you, you go mm. to World Cups, right? Absolutely, yeah. I've actually been to every World Cup since 1994, except for one, uh, always with my father and some other members of the family joining in at times. So yeah, they're a really special part of my, of my life and my memories. Um, but, but I think looking at it from the perspective of, of the business of the sport and the appeal of the sport, I think it's unquestionable that with every World Cup, the interest in the sport in the U.S. has grown. Even World Cups where the U.S. hasn't competed. I think actually Americans are the fans that most travel to World Cups every, every time, for every, every four years. Wow. Um, so, so that always will drive more interest in the sport. But then on top of that, having it in the U.S., just makes it that much more exciting. And obviously there's been one time where it's been in the U.S. before, but that's been nearly 30 years ago. No? So I think this comes at a moment where um, football is already a lot more popular and this has the potential to just once again create a step change in the popularity of the sport. You know, I, I would also say one thing, Pete, while there are so many things going for the sport here uh, and they make it appealing to come, I think what's also really interesting is that we also have so much room to improve. No, I mean, you know uh, from uh, following football when you were born and in and, uh, and, and the UK, um, how important of a sport it is nationally for uh, the people that live there, for the communities, obviously for audiences and TV. Um, and we have to recognize that football here in the US is not that. No, it's not the NFL, it's not the NBA. Um, and uh, you know, for, as a business, TV rights are still uh, far lower than what they are in lots of other large, well-established sports leagues around the world. You know, wages, we aren't able to compete with the big five uh, leagues in, in Europe. Um, and there are still many players that when given the option of a, yeah, I wouldn't even say Premier League team, but you say uh, La Liga team, Ligue 1 in France, uh, Serie A, that still seems like a higher quality league, more prestigious that they want to go play in above the MLS. So I think if everything was going for the MLS, but the room to grow wasn't there, that also wouldn't be as interesting. But it's in this point where there's a lot going for it, and there's still so much more that we can do to improve. And I think that's that space where we're, on, where we're in now. And it's also um, important to note for MLS fans that maybe haven't paid attention to the Premier League for 30 years, but the Premier League 30 years ago was not what it is now. And it was maybe fourth or fifth best league in in Europe hmm. if, if that the technical level wasn't there the investment wasn't there the fandom was um, and then it improved and like the the difference in the Premier League from when you started at Manchester City to where it is now I mean do, do you think that there did you see growth um, in that 
10-year period. For sure, for sure, for sure. I think I'm, you know, I'd say the Premier League was still the number one most watched league. Um, it is true that its, um, its level of um, leadership in the space would have been um, tighter with La Liga or even Serie A many years ago was the most really watched dominant, yeah. um, most watched league in, in global football. Um, but you know, its international appeal, especially in Asia, has always been very strong. And I think what did happen is that Real Madrid and Barcelona are obviously two huge football clubs that have always been able to attract or, or create some of the best football players in the world. Mm -hmm. And they have always been able to grab a lot of attention. Uh, and I think uh, you know, several different things happening at the same time, of course, Messi and Ronaldo being, uh, you know, great ambassadors for the sport and some of the best players to ever play, um, they create a lot of attention around those two clubs. But this is where you then have to look at the league as a whole, and um, are you actually creating interested fans in the league, and in more other than just two clubs? And I think the Premier League has been able to do a fantastic job of that, of creating a very competitive. Uh, league where any single match day, almost any team can beat any other team. Uh, so that makes it more interesting as a, as a fan. Uh, and that's been able to, to help create this huge appeal uh, for the league all over the world. Great. So um, I'd love, uh, before we get into the, the meat of the podcast, for you to um, tell us what your job role is and to give us your view of what the job is in your own words. Yeah, I mean, the, the job that I'm here to do is to help St. Louis City, first of all, um, to realize the vision of the owners. Uh, and the vision of the owners is for this club to represent the city very well and to be about more than just soccer or more than, uh, more than the sport itself and to transcend a little bit of uh, help the community to regenerate in this area here in downtown West where we are. Um, of course, to connect with fans and engage people locally uh, to uphold values that matter uh, to the people of the city. So, you know, my role is, to he is here to, to help operationalize the club towards that vision. Um, and then with regards to, um, sorry, the question, second question was, so that was a description of the role. Yeah, just uh, like the elevator pitch of what, oh, yeah. your, what your role is. Yeah, I mean, I think, what, you know, what, what I'd love to do is to bring that experience of having worked in football clubs for the last 10 years uh, to see how I can complement what, Ownership, of course, knows um, around the city uh, and how to help connect with that city with what I can bring around how to manage a football club. From the sporting side to the business side, that experience of having done that over the last 10 years with 10, 11 football clubs hopefully can, can add value here for the club. You excited? Super excited. Very energized. Fantastic. All right, let's go right the way back. Um, I'd love to hear um, about your, your story growing up. Like, Where did you grow up and, and, and what was it like being... A young person. <laughs> yeah, so I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, but uh, I actually left there when I was three years old the first time. My, um, my young life was the son of an expat uh, father who worked for a multinational company, which implied that every three or four years, our family would uh, pick up and we would move. Um, and that was the life I lived uh, until I was old enough to make some of my own decisions. And then curiously, I kind of continued living that life because uh, that's what you're used to and uh, that's where you feel comfortable. So, you know, I, I was born in Argentina, but I actually spent fewer years living in Argentina than I have living in uh, Spain, the UK, 
or the US, which is actually the country where I've spent the most number of years in my life. Which part of the, the US did you live in? Or which parts? Yeah, I've lived in, um, in Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and Miami. So always East Coast. This is my first opportunity in the Midwest. Fantastic. Um, you mentioned earlier that you go to the World Cup Games with your dad. Was it your dad who introduced you to the, the beautiful game? Yeah, I mean, I think I was, you know, being from Argentina, um, you know, football is part of everyone's life. Um, uh, you know, of course, um, living in Argentina means that you get to watch games and go to games much more often. Uh, when I was three and we came to the U.S., it wasn't an important part of my life then. But this next time I went back to Argentina was right when uh, it was the 1986 World Cup. Uh, I was 10 years old um, and Argentina, that was the prime of Diego Maradona. Um, and uh, they got to the final and they won that competition. Um, the, and the memories that I have of that moment were, were amazing you know, because I was a young kid um, that all of a sudden uh, got uh, put in the back of a pickup truck uh, and uh, we went around the city and the streets of Buenos Aires hearing all the drums beating and people singing songs, celebrating that huge moment um, for, um, for the country. And that's what really got me very hooked on on watching the sport. Is um, soccer and family the the key ingredient there for you? Like, is that your experience of football and the the memories that you have that you mentioned being with your family for the Champions League final, like your dad at the World Cups? Like, is is that what really draws you to the game? And does that sort of drive how you think about football as a as a business? Yeah, I mean, I think the. You know, for sure. I mean, I think that football is definitely one of the most important parts of my life because of the, um, the moments of uh, bonding um, and the memories that that creates, the wins and the losses. Um, of course, prefer the wins, but, uh, but yeah, the right. losses also. But the losses also. Did you play? Uh, I played re- recreationally for fun with yeah. friends. Never at a competitive level, never, um, never kind of seriously, but, but I always enjoy playing. Did you ever dabble in other sports, like particularly when you were in America? You baseball or you? Uh... Yeah, I played a little bit of basketball because yep. I was always a little bit taller than others in my class, um, but not too seriously. And you know, in the season, you know, in the fall season, I would play football instead of uh, what was it? Instead of uh, American football. Yeah. Sorry, soccer instead of football in that season. Then the winter, I would do skiing. Uh, and then the spring, I would play tennis, which is an, an American sport per se. Um, so, so yeah, I think American sports, it was mostly just basketball with friends. You studied at a very prestigious place at Wharton. Um, did you have sport on the mind when you went there to study? Not at all, actually. Not at all. I mean, I would say that back then, this was now you know, almost 20 years ago when I, when I finished business school at Wharton. You know, a career in sport wasn't really... I would say it's probably not even a traditional career path today, but it wasn't even a, you know, few people work uh, in sports when they graduate from Wharton uh, 20 years ago. Uh, It really wasn't a serious career. Maybe in the U.S. a little more, um, but definitely not outside of there. Um, I would say that I always had this interest in media and entertainment and kind of creative industries. You know, music obviously was always an established industry per se, and I've always loved music, as, as I described before, playing piano. So there were parts of me that would have loved to have worked in media and entertainment or music. I remember we, uh, 
I did a, a class on that, which I enjoyed a lot. I remember I also went to uh, MTV's headquarters in New York at that time. For me, it was like going to Disney World. Yeah. So there was always this kind of um, interest in being able to combine the love for business with the love for one of your passions and really dedicate all of your energy uh, to that. Uh, but sports just wasn't uh, really an option then. But I do think that underlying interest in working in media, entertainment, creative, music, uh, then found its uh, its way back. So the the first uh, early in your career, there was a slight dabble in sport. You had a, a sports internship at mm-hmm. Gillette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that was uh, it. Was my first internship, but it was my uh, it was my first sports related internship. Yeah, um, and the opportunity there was when well, my father worked for the Gillette company. This was the multinational company that I mentioned. Uh, that he he worked at for almost 30 years. And its headquarters was in Boston. I was doing my university at Boston University. In 1998, I was graduating. That was the year of the World Cup. So when I was going into my last semester, I said, um, you've got to connect me with people at headquarters because I'm sure they need some temporary help leading up to the World Cup. And I'm there. I will work part-time at any time they need just so I can get that experience. And that's how it came about. And uh, I was able to, to do an internship of several months there in Boston and then went to uh, the World Cup in France and helped support a lot of the activities that they did uh, at the World Cup. And it was, uh, it was amazing. No, it, was a, it was an opportunity to combine work with, uh, with uh, a passion and to live it firsthand at that age. Fantastic. So you, your, your big career chunk early on was, um, was based in consultancy. Um, there are a few people in our business that have worked in consultancy. What skills does consultancy teach you that have ended up being applicable to mm-hmm. your career so far? Yeah, I mean, I think consulting is, a, is an amazing place to learn skills that can help in many different areas. Um, really what consulting is really about is um, solving problems and solving different types of problems using an approach and a way of thinking and a skill set. Um, and you know, when you go anywhere in life, uh, jobs or life in general, you are solving, solving problems all the time. Um, so consulting helps, uh, create this way of approaching new problems all the time by knowing how to think strategically, uh, to know how to use numbers, um, to be comfortable analyzing decisions, coming up with options. Uh, of course, making final recommendations, even communicating effectively and convincing others of those of those things. So all of those are skills that can be useful in any career uh, afterwards. So I think it's a great school. Um, plus, you've got all these uh, aspects of needing to work under pressure, very tight timelines, very demanding clients, uh, very high standards expected. Uh, so I think all those things create a way of working in you that you can take pretty much anywhere. So after 13 years of consulting, you start work for Manchester City right after uh, Mancini delivers the first Premier League title. Um, that sounds exciting, but how, how do you go from consulting to working for a Premier League winning side? Yeah. How does yeah. that work? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, it's a long story, but what I would say is um, it was probably a part merit and part luck. Uh, you know, the part merit goes back to a little bit of what I was saying is, you know, consulting does uh, allow you to um, be able to join many different sectors 
and be able to approach problems in a in a unique way. Um, so I think that was the merit part of having had a good career in consulting. I had done the full path from analyst to partner. I had worked in the telecom media and tech practice, which is the closest you have in the consulting world to, to working uh, in an entertainment-like uh, sector. But then there was a lot of luck, a lot of luck of speaking to the right person at the right time who was joining um, a club that needed to make a lot of change and was going on a big um, kind of growth trajectory, which implied hiring a lot of new people. And uh, that was the, the significant serendipity part of all this. Um, I had the opportunity to speak with City Football Group's current uh, CEO, Farhan Soriano, um, about six months before he took on the role as Man City CEO. Um, he had actually worked in the same consulting firm I had. Um, we, would never, we had never worked together. We weren't friends by any means, had pretty much never met. Uh, but we had a lot of people in common, um, and he had done the career path from consulting to Football Club Barcelona. So he could understand how someone like me uh, could play a role in what he was trying to build at Man City then. Um, and that was, the, that was the luck component. I did not know that Ferran Soriano was a consultant. That mm-hmm. has blown my mind. So you took on a, um, your role as Director of Marketing, Media, and Fan Development. Um, job roles are all very different across sport, but that sounds like an exciting role. Um, what did it entail um, mm-hmm. for you, like particularly the, the fan development front for an established club? Yeah, I mean, I think these were areas that for Man City were all new. Um, I mean, if you think about what Man City was then, this was a club that, of course, has, has a very, very long history. It was founded you know, over 125 years ago. Um, but when I joined, as you said, it had just won its first Premier League. Um, and I'd say on the pitch was now all of a sudden a um, challenger. And I, I wouldn't say it was established yet, but mm-hmm. it was definitely a, a real competitor. Um, and uh, off the pitch was still trying to catch up. Um, it wasn't one of the big football clubs and big brands of world football. Um, and, of course, a, a team of that size, definitely you needed to have you know, sponsorship people and ticketing people and, of course, sporting people because you need that to operate the club almost like at a, you know, table stakes. But when you're not thinking of yourself as a global entertainment um, uh, organization, you're not necessarily thinking about departments like marketing or like digital media or like fan relationship management or CRM, those are functions that only become relevant when you look at the world in a very different way. No? And that was the moment in time for Man City. And I think that's where, you know, looking at where I could play a role in a sports club at that time, since I didn't have a background in the sports and the more traditional sports functions, better to find someone that works in sports. For if you want a sponsorship guy or if you want a ticketing uh, woman, and, I mean, you, you can find those across other sports. But in these areas, it was a bit more uh, kind of white space. No? The, how can we just find someone that understands marketing strategies and understands CRM strategies and understands digital strategies and can come here and just figure it out? Because you know, I wouldn't say any sports club was particularly great at those functions. So there was a lot of uh, just um, things to do and things to learn. Did... Uh- you had a successful career in consultancy, everything's going great, then you make the jump into sport, you never know what it's going to be like, you're probably thinking it's going to be great, 
did it, did it live up to expectations? Was it uh, was it different? Like, what what did it feel like making that jump? Did you feel immediately at home because you were a big soccer fan, or was it like, wow, this is this is a little bit more unstructured than it is working at a consultancy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were there were a lot of um, um, things that I learned in those in those first years. I would say overall, um, you know, I can't be happier of the opportunity to work in in sports and in and in soccer or football. Um, I remember even before starting, but once I had accepted the new role, uh, you know, you start getting sent some stuff so you can start um, onboarding and, and seeing what's coming. And I remember one of the first Excel sheets I was sent and I opened it and it was a table of um, number of fans by country, by year, per big football club. So how many fans does Man United have or uh, Arsenal or Man City in different countries in different years? I said, wow, you know, I'm used to working with a lot of Excel tables, but to be able to open an Excel table and find that sort of content on there was like, this is amazing. You know, now Excel tables are going to look like this. Now, so to be able to combine that uh, with uh, something that you love just makes the job so much more fun. And there were so many pinch me moments, you know, in my 10 years. You know, so many moments when you're like, you know, the first, um, the first uh, Premier League meeting that I remember going to. And you're sitting in order. All the clubs are sitting in order alphabetically. So I remember Man City. We had Man United on one side and Liverpool on the other side. No. <laughs> and just that moment, no, you're like, wow, here we are at a, a Premier League meeting with all the different clubs represented and, and with these huge uh, clubs right next to us. Of course, uh, the first uh, trophy win and celebrations and you know, trophy parade where you're walking next to the bus and seeing the just hundreds of thousands of people lining up in their faces. You know, all those moments that are so emotional and so unique of looking in sports were amazing. Um, but but you know, what I would also say is that all those are very emotional and very fun. What has been really unique about this is that we've been able to also create at City Football Group this amazing business story. You know, it wasn't just a uh, opportunity to work in sports per se. It was the opportunity to work in the Premier League, in a um, growing football club that was going to try to disrupt and challenge the established uh, order, uh, that had a, a, a vision of establishing multiple clubs around the world, uh, of investing in infrastructure and, and people. So being able to be a part of that incredible business transformation story is also one of the most exciting things of, of those last 10 years. So I feel like the experiences that you had of early Manchester City, when you looked at the project that we have here, like challenger brand, like infrastructure, mm -hmm. um, like helping to build something from scratch, was that part of the um, was that part of the appeal that you've you've got experience doing that for Manchester City and and those threads, some of them can pull through. Absolutely, absolutely. I would say that you know this team. Um, you guys have done a fantastic job already at creating such strong foundations here. No? Um, you know, independently of whether we would be winning or not on the pitch, which of course that has been incredible for I bet all of us or all of you guys to see, and of course the fans. But even if the team wasn't winning, I think uh, winning on the pitch, I think what has been created here in terms of foundations is very strong. Um, so you know, in, in many ways, arriving here is a much more established first step or base than some of the clubs that I was working with, even Man City at the time. 
Um, so I think you guys have, have done a, a great, great job. Uh, and you know, my goal now is how can we build on that, knowing that this is still the first year of, of this club's existence. Your, your next job, you were promoted to an SVP of media and innovation, my world. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about this. And uh, like just anecdotally, I remember being in London advertising when you were in this role and uh, seeing a Premier League football club appear in advertising publications doing cool and innovative things. I remember people in advertising were going, you see what Manchester City are doing? Isn't this, this is crazy. They're doing VR, they're doing chatbots. Like it, it was, it was unusual. Um, what, um, you know, what ingredients did you have to pull together to make Manchester City one of the most innovative clubs? And I, you know, and hundred percent, I know people I'm sitting opposite the new president of the club here. Like, I think that that is an objective analysis that Manchester City are still one of the most innovative clubs in the Premier League. And like you, you worked on that. Um, what did you have to do to, and, and what were the challenges? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the first thing I would say is that innovation, while I def- I had that, that word in my title was not a role that was exclusively mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of the um, things that make Man City uh, be known as so innovative because it isn't one person's job. It is everyone's job. Um, and all of that starts top down. You know, if the, if the leader of the organization doesn't believe in innovation being important, then the rest of the organization won't follow. Uh, and the uh, CEO of the group, Farhan, has real top-down belief that this is important. Um, and that then uh, creates an environment where people are encouraged to take risks and encouraged to look for new ways of doing things. Um, and then there were some kind of big markers in the ground, like the uh, investment in other clubs. That was a really early move, very innovative in the space then, um, of uh, you know expanding internationally, not by taking Man City around the world, but by you know creating New York City FC back then, and and taking Melbourne, a club in Melbourne, and 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 uh, acquiring it and, and making it become Melbourne City FC. That was a huge statement of innovation at the time. And then in all departments, you just kind of pick up on that as a as a as a vision, uh, and you look for ways to be innovative yourself. You know, in the media and digital teams that I led, we prided ourselves on being innovative, uh, definitely in terms of content creation, in terms of using uh, you know, digital technology, and uh, in terms of you know, collaborations with others. Uh, that really drove energy in the, in the team. But the entire organization was innovative top to bottom. In 2016, uh, you said the uh, Manchester City are constantly exploring new ways to connect with our fans. In doing so, we proactively look to embrace innovative technologies that can help complement our physical touch points and strengthen our relationship with fans. Um, virtual reality you were talking about in 2016 um, I know you did one of the first games I think that was against Arsenal um, the world of technology is getting more and more disparate um, and more and more closed off there's AI there's crypto NFTs um, what's your view of this like ecosystem and how can clubs like City take advantage of like new spaces yeah I mean the, the, the way we, we looked at that really was um, again going back to we want to be innovative and we want to be risk-taking. Uh, that then comes with wanting to participate in those emerging technologies and emerging spaces and get in early to learn, uh, but with full understanding that many of those won't explode or maybe won't even go anywhere. Um, but it's almost part of uh, the cultural way of working is 
we see something, we think it's got potential, we want to be part of the ecosystem that tries it out and learns. And the more you learn and the earlier you, you learn, the higher your chances of being successful if those things do materialize. Uh, so that's how we looked at it. We wanted to collaborate with as, as many of those uh, third parties that were building innovative stuff in these different spaces. And of course, they also wanted to participate with a big sports clubs because we drive big audiences um, and allow them to get a lot of visibility also into the, into the technology. So it was really a you know, great win-win opportunities for us to experiment. Do you have like a, a favorite risky bet that you took? Could have succeeded or could have failed? Like, is there, is there one that you're yeah. taking that, that this, was, this was a good one? Yeah, I mean, I think that the VR one is interesting because I remember at the time when we did it and I put on those uh, uh, goggles or glasses the first time, I was pretty impressed. And I, and I thought, you know, there's a lot of potential in this and I could see that becoming uh, much bigger than what it is today, really. And um, we did, you know, a live match in, in VR and then we did some, uh, some content in VR um, but that hasn't really uh, taken off as, uh, as I probably would have thought maybe eight years ago when I did it first. Um, you know, another one that, that for me was interesting was we did a few hackathons um, where we basically invited people uh, to apply to come to Man City's uh, offices and spend a weekend trying to create some new digital feature or digital um, um, uh, app uh, that could engage our fans around the world. And while I wouldn't say that those created um, an output per se, uh, in terms of a feature that mm -hmm. was developed in those two days, what it did create was some talent pipeline. And we hired some people even into the sporting kind of data world uh, oh, from okay. those opportunities where you just find these people that you know really love this space and are really talented. And that gives you an opportunity to get to know them and then get to get to know you. And, and uh, you know, an unexpected benefit comes from something like that. The last um, six months have been like a, a lot. Of, there's been a lot of manias maybe in the last two years. Are there any technologies that you're like, I think that this could be the next frontier? Is there anything that you're paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, look, everyone's speaking about artificial intelligence now um, and its, uh, its ability to impact all sectors really in different ways. Um, and I think that's, Definitely, I'd say because of its breadth of how many different areas it can impact, that's the one that I'm most interested in seeing how it evolves, no? because it can definitely impact the sporting side uh, in using AI or models or more data to inform better um, recruiting decisions, of course, to help with injury prevention, even to help uh, kind of tactics. Uh, so there's a lot of different applications of artificial intelligence on the sporting side, but then on the business side, you know, you can use it to um, improve fan engagement, to, to uh, improve a stadium uh, experience, uh, getting in and out. Um, and so, yeah, so I think artificial intelligence will be the one that, that when I think about technology that has a potential to have a big impact on the sport with a kind of 10 to 20 year horizon, that's definitely the one that I'm most interested in following. Uh, what I would say, also, though, about something a bit more today, I think streaming, and especially Apple, is a lot, uh, you know, a real live case today of technology changing the way in which we consume day to day. Um, you know, an MLS uh, having all of its matches available on Apple on one stop all around the world, one platform, and the potential that that has to change behaviors, but then to start connecting with other aspects of the Apple ecosystem are, uh, are really interesting and more of something that we'll see happen in the next year, two, 
three years rather than artificial intelligence, which of course is longer is a longer impact uh, horizon. Sports clubs, uh, particularly soccer clubs, seem to be hot properties at the moment all around the world. We've just seen Tom Brady enter with Birmingham. We've seen uh, we've seen actors buying Wrexham. <laughs> um, everybody's trying to seek to differentiate themselves. Do you think um, differentiating yourselves mm. off the pitch um, is an important part of, of of your role moving forward? And you know, does it attract viewership for the for the actual on the pitch? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's critical. I think more and more, um, you know, t- to build a sustainable, long-term, focused uh, sports team, you have to have the ability to differentiate uh, and to represent something and to have an identity, really. No? And I think that is where um, you know, St. Louis City has done a fantastic job, um, but it's really about trying to identify what you represent and uh, what you're about. Uh, and I think the clubs that are able to do that well are those that think about uh, the city that they represent and what's the history of the city and the uh, DNA of the people um, and, and then try to elevate that and use the sport and the team to represent those pillars or those values. And, you know, St. Louis, I've heard of a lot about, you know, the grit uh, in the city and this kind of underdog um, uh, kind of view and uh, huge pride uh, in the region even this kind of soccer capital uh, of, of the U.S. Uh, it's about you know, capturing all of those different themes and then representing it on the pitch, representing it in the stands, representing it in community activities. Uh, and that will allow fans to connect with it at a much deeper level than just a team that's you know, either winning or losing. It's not just that. It's about your identity and you know, your, your city. So we're moving on to like the final part of your, your role at Manchester City before we talk about St. Louis City in a little bit more detail. But your final job was a really interesting one. You're managing director of EU LATAM partner clubs. Yeah. So um, you looked after clubs in Spain, uh, France, Italy, mm-hmm. Belgium, Uruguay, Brazil, Bolivia, and Japan. Uh, that seems like a really cool job. Um, multi-club strategies are uh, like a, a fairly new invention in the world of sport. Um, but Manchester City sat at the, the, the heart of like developing this. Could you explain um, a little bit about what a multi-club strategy is and, and what that role entailed? Yeah. I mean, I think the genesis of a multi-club strategy starts from a really basic central concept, which is any organization that is good at something, if they then want to expand, it's about how do you take that mm, expertise uh, to, other con- to other markets and, ex- and, and grow internationally. You know? I think the, the thing that was innovative about it is that rather than doing that by taking your English club and trying to make it relevant internationally, um, the question or, or the approach that was followed by, by City Football Group organization was to actually create new football clubs across the world or acquire football clubs across the world. Um, that was unique about this multi-club organization. But it's really just taking, you know, if you know how to um, win games, play the sport and all the different things that come with that. Uh, if you know how to build fan bases and get people to come to uh, stadiums, um, if you know how to um, create a financially, financially sustainable football club, why not take that expertise and try to do a football club in other markets where you think that the potential for a football club uh, exists? So it's like taking the IP of success and um, like almost franchising it out in a way. 
Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's a, a franchise model per se because it's not that structured and that kind of, um, you know, this is how you um, need to uh, set up a new restaurant. It, it's not that... Not uh, cookie cutter. It's not that cookie cutter. Um, but there's a lot of similarities and a lot of um, expertise that you can translate from one market to the next. And that's what we try to do with this multi-club um, approach. Working with that many clubs sounds like a challenging job like how do you get your head around all of the different uh personalities all of the different front offices all of the different sporting departments like is that um you know, is that a skill that you learn quick yeah i mean i think you know the consulting uh, uh aspect helps because you are thrown into different countries different uh problems different companies different cultures all the time uh, and this is what this was you know one day you're working on a problem in japan the other day you're working on a problem in bolivia and i wouldn't say there's a lot of things in common between people from Japan and Bolivia, uh, but you have to be able to work uh, effectively and, and, uh, and drive impact in all those different uh, contexts. You know, I'd say that you know, the opportunity to work across all those different markets was incredibly enriching because it just gives you so many more exposure, so much more exposure to experiences. Uh, you're just kind of like learning at scale. No, you're just you're, you're, what you would experience in, say, you know, I did this role for five years. If I did that role just with one club, I would have five seasons of experiences. Um, and say working with, say, a total of you know, 60 players over those five years and maybe one or two head coaches. Now, if you uh, take that but then replicate eight clubs on top of those five years, all of a sudden your experiences and your, and your exposure to different problems has multiplied. Um, and that helps to then be able to address the next problem in a better way. Um, but yeah, in the end, what you end up doing, you know, you're obviously not able to, to be um, at a very detailed level operationally with all those clubs. All those clubs were run by a local CEO, a local sporting director that was there on a day-to-day -day basis. My role was to provide some uh, direction uh, and prioritization from the center. Of course, to find those moments where I had to be more on the ground and more present, especially when a club isn't doing well. Uh, especially when a club is new and they need to understand how we work and what things uh, we, we value. Um, and, and those are the moments where I would be more involved or, or on big projects, you know, a big impactful um, you know, investment or decision. Uh, and you just kind of find a way to gradually spread your time and um, focus on those clubs that need more help uh, or those decisions that need more, more oversight. When you worked in... Um Belgium you were in the press and you were talking about the the, the sort of sporting vision of, of what the club was going to be and you spoke about the development of of young players and you were very honest about you know where that market was what would work for that market but it felt like it was a very tailored approach based on market realities mm -hmm. um like is that something that um, it, are those experiences that you've had at lots of different clubs? So when you come into St. Louis, you're looking uh, like the market, the culture, and what's going on, and are you starting to formulate sort of, you know, where the vision goes for for here? Yeah, I think you know, I, I know that when this club was created, there was that also that that vision of you know why do we want to do this, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's the same case as it was in Belgium when when we looked at and invested in this club in. In a, in a small city um, on the frontier with, uh, with Holland almost. Um, and we thought about, you know, what do we want to do with this club? Does it fit? Uh, how can we add value to it? Will the fans uh, welcome us? 
Um, and uh, the opportunity that we found there was to take this club um, and bring it back uh, to better days. Uh, it had gone through some challenging years of underinvestment. Um, and we thought that we could come in and help uh, drive investment into that team again. Uh, and at the same time, do that in a way that we are able to benefit from some of the huge opportunities that Belgium as a country provides. And it's a country of 10 million people, small country also, not as small as Uruguay, but similar story that with a country of 10 million people, they're able to create amazing football players. No? Uh, so there we were going also to learn and to be present in a, in, a, in a key market, knowing that that had to be an important strategic pillar of how we were going to drive value from being at that club. When you're kind of uh, speed running experiences, all of these different clubs, do you start to develop uh, like a, is there like a set of Diego principles? That when you go into a club, there are certain sort of non-negotiable things that mm. you do at every club as you're looking to like develop and, and move it forward. Yeah, I mean, there, there are definitely some, um, I would say, uh, ways in which we approached all those different clubs consistently as a way of working for city football groups. So there's certain standards that a city football group club needed to uh, live up to. That doesn't mean that all clubs have to be winning their leagues and need to be competing in you know, Champions League equivalents. Um, but uh, we need to have strategies. We need to uh, be implementing uh, and executing to meet those targets that we set. Um, and uh, we need to do that in a way that is uh, working as part of the collective and, and helping uh, the club, but also the group. Of course, all the clubs, uh, there are non-negotiables around the roots of the club, the importance to the local community, the fan base being authentic. You know, We know uh, that football clubs are extremely important to a lot of people. Um, and that is a non-negotiable for sure when we're going to any of those clubs. Uh, that is always uh, something that we're very aware of. Um, and that we need to make sure that we can uh, uphold that when we look at fans in the eye and, and we can tell the story that we have helped uh, be good custodians of that club uh, and helped invest in and, and grow those clubs. You worked in some countries with extremely intense uh, fan bases and you've mentioned before that you, you haven't always gone into clubs that are succeeding. Um, mm. You've had to invest, you've had to improve. Mm. Um, how, uh, how important is connection to local fan bases um, for you? And like, do you have any examples of like, you know, turnaround jobs that you've done on uh, disgruntled folk? <laughs> yeah, we've definitely been, you know, at City Football Group, there are, there are several clubs that I would say that we um, joined that have relatively small fan bases. Montevideo would be the best example for that. But then we decided to embark on projects with clubs with huge fan bases like Palermo in Italy, in Sicily or Bahia in the northeast of Brazil. You know, these are clubs that have huge fan bases uh, and many, many years of, of existence. Uh, and that comes with a, a, high, a, whole level, a, a whole other level of responsibility to those fans. Um, it, it's also true that there, there are moments where uh, we have had some difficult uh, moments with fans, um, where, of course, fans uh, see City Football Group coming and they have big expectations of immediate results and turnaround. Um, and this is sport, and sport doesn't usually um, produce immediate results. You know, even Man City, as a story, took them. You know, took that club ten years to really start 
showing up at competing well, of sustained investment and good decision making to get them to now, 10 years after that, be uh, winning a Champions League. Um, so, you know, it takes uh, some time to get all those things working in the right way. Um, and if I think about, you know, the, the Palermo example is, is interesting because we, we invested in that club, acquired that club right after the club got promoted from third division to, sec to second division. Now, for anyone who doesn't uh, know Palermo, Palermo has a lot of history in first division, very big fan base, but went through a period of some financial mismanagement and the team basically went bankrupt and started again from amateur football and got, and got promoted from fourth tier to third tier. Then we joined uh, to help do the rest of the journey from third division to, for sure, first division at some point. So we joined right after the team that got promoted from third division to second division. Uh, in June, all the fans were very excited with the promotion. And then um, within a month, the head coach and the sporting director resigned uh, right in the middle of the uh, preseason. And of course, we'd been creating a squad working with those uh, individuals. So that created a bit of a curveball. And then, you know, of course, we hired uh, a new head coach. And the first eight, nine, ten matches, we found ourselves towards the bottom of second division in relegation spots. So, you know, fans weren't happy. Uh, media wasn't happy. There was a lot of pressure and so much pressure that the way in which that pressure is typically managed in a country like Italy or uh, in countries like uh, Brazil or Spain is that at that moment, the managers get fired. That's how the culture is and what people expect, even staff. Um, and, you know, our role was to say, you know, that's not how, how we operate. You know, we're operating as long-term uh, operators of football clubs, we don't want to be swayed by short-term results. If we're seeing the right things, then we stay with our decisions and we give them time. Um, and you know, at that at that moment, it was a difficult decision to take. The easiest path out to just be um, focusing on keeping fans happy would have been to change the manager. But we thought that wasn't the right decision for the medium term and for the and for the long term. And you know, over time, the team improved. The team finished in uh, ninth place, I think it was. Just a, you know, uh, just missed promotion playoffs uh, on goal difference, um, and we were about a mid-table spending team. So completely uh, met and slightly exceeded expectations at the end of the season when you had more time. So, having worked with a lot of different fan bases, um, are there winning is obviously going to make everybody happy but you can't always win as you've said um what what do you think makes fans happy around the world like having seen lots of different cultures i know as a as an arsenal fan what makes me happy outside of of, of winning um have you, are there like commonalities that you see yeah. across the world yeah i mean i think winning as you said is definitely what, what fans care about the most but i think that um i think that fans also like to see growth. So like a trajectory of, all right, I see that we are improving year on year. Um, I also think that fans like to see um, committed owners that are investing. And by investing, I don't mean necessarily investing in talent only, but also investing in infrastructure, uh, doing things for the right reasons, being responsible, kind of citizens of the community, connecting with fans. I think fans like seeing that the owner of the club or the owners of the clubs are taking their club seriously and, and leaving a legacy. 
and I also think that they like feeling represented by uh, by the football clubs and by the values even of the players when they speak, uh, they they or, or, or when they play the games, they they like to feel uh, represented. Um, you know, I'm sure that fans would love to see all 11 players uh, come from the city that that they're in. I think the days of that have definitely passed. Um, but you want to see some examples of talent coming up and having the opportunity to get minutes in that first team, as St. Louis City has also uh, shown this season. So yeah, I think all those things matter. I would say by far and away, the most important things is to win. But our role as a club is to be able to um, make sure that winning is defined in more ways. It's not just about winning on the pitch every weekend. It's about winning in the community, winning with fans, uh, you know, winning uh, in, in you know in, in in leaving legacies for the city, and all those things need to matter as well. So, just wanted to uh, dive a little bit into um, one story because we, we spoke about it. But you were elected to the board of directors at Sharona um, in 2017. You retained a role as vice president. Um, I feel like this is a story that you're particularly um, proud of. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that project in Spain? Yeah. So Girona is a city in the northeast of Spain, in the region of Catalonia. Um, it is about an hour drive north of Barcelona. Smallish city, but not super small. It's maybe about 100,000 uh, population, but a beautiful, beautiful area of, of the world, really. And it's a club that has been around for close to 100 years, but had never before made it to first division. Uh, when we... I decided to invest in that club. It had been competing at the top of second division, and we thought that we could help it get to first division. And that same year when we were closing the transaction, the club managed to get into first division. So we joined the summer right after uh, that promotion. And the story of that, of that club is uh, really special because I was able to see firsthand how much that club's relevance grew in these last five years. Um, you speak to the, you know, I traveled a lot there, especially at the beginning, um, and you could see how in the city of Girona, when you'd walk around, people would be wearing Barcelona shirts because that was the club that everyone looked up to. It was an hour away. It was from the same region. Obviously, it was a, it was a big club. Um, and you go now and you see probably five Girona shirts for every one Barcelona shirt. Uh, and you know the, the city has really fallen in love with its team and realized that that's their team. It's not uh, Barcelona anymore. And you see kids wearing it and you just see how much it has changed even in five years. Um, so, so yeah, th that has been a really um, special project to work on. And I would also say another thing that made it special was the journey in those five years because Girona had moments of suffering. You know, Girona got promoted to first division, had an incredible first year, um, but then the second year they got relegated. You know, we were in a very comfortable position halfway through the season, and then in the last 10 games, the team lost nine, and they got relegated the last day of the season really, really difficult moment. Um, and then they spent two years making it to the promotion playoff final with the return leg at home and losing in front of our fans two years in a row. So those are three years of heartbreak, uh, you know, emotional heartbreak for fans, for staff, for players, but also financially really difficult for the club that needed to uh, stick within the regulations of the league that don't allow you to just lose money. You need to reset your cost base. So went through three years of consecutive um, heartbreaks, as I was saying. And, uh, you know, gladly, then the team, we managed to get the team promoted again. Uh, 
the the third year in second division again with, with the promotion playoff final this time away and had an amazing year in first division again we finished in in 10th place just a few points off european qualification uh so yeah it, it what made that project so special wasn't just to see how the community kind of fell in love with its team but also to have been able to be a part of these difficult moments which we were able to work through together and come back to a great moment uh, for the club. Did you enjoy working for a, a like, the Manchester City is huge uh, and all Premier League clubs are huge, even the small ones. Mm-hmm. Um, working for a, a club of that size, is there something different about the, the intimacy of, of working in those moments and sort of sharing the, the high highs and the low lows? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say that obviously the smaller the club, the more familiar they feel um, and the more that it is a real family environment. Um, so yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Okay, well, let's move on to City SC. How does it feel uh, to begin the new chapter? It feels really, really good. Really, really energizing to be here. There's so much positive energy around around the city, around the the stadium when we come to the games. Obviously, around the organization and the staff. Um, and it's uh, you know it's a new club, a challenger again, as we said before. And there's so much, um, so much still to do. So very, very energizing, very exciting uh, for the club and also for the league. So you're president and general manager. Um, what parts of the club are you looking after? Yeah, my role is to look after all areas of the club, um, the business side and the sporting side. Um, of course, I will report into Carolyn. Uh, she's the CEO uh, of the club and into the board of directors, which Carolyn is also a member of. Um, and my role will be to help on day-to-day operations uh, of the football club. That's what I'm, what's I'm brought here to do. So your, your role does include um, looking after sporting matters? Yes, uh, it, it, it does involve business and sporting, uh, and therefore you know, Lutz will uh, report into me in the same way as the other parts of the organization. But you know, I would also clarify that, that in the same way of any people that report into me, these are really talented people, really experienced uh, that I uh, am more than happy to delegate to and to let all of those people, you included, uh, take those uh, uh, departments and uh, you know, figure out the strategies and make recommendations, make most decisions without needing uh, me to get involved at all. Uh, everyone's doing a fantastic job, Lutz for sure. Everyone can see uh, the squad that he's been able to pull together, Bradley's work and and giving him a shot at being head coach. The results are amazing. Um, so yeah, I, I will work with Lutz in the same way that I will work with others. Um, that, so you that, won't be dialing in substitutes from the, from the bench. That's not no, part no, of it. No, 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 no. If you ever see me on a phone call during a game, that's not what I'll be doing for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I think my, my idea is when there's a major decision that needs to get uh, uh, taken or uh, a big problem in any of the departments, that, that's when all the department leads will say, hey, I think we got to you know, involve Diego, speak about this and make sure that we're taking the right decision. That, that's how, how I work with Lutz. Is it nice coming into a club and that's not in distress and coming into a club and it's, it's, it's doing well on the sporting side? I mean, like great chance of playoffs this year, like good vibes around the training ground. Is that, um, has that been a, a, like a breath of fresh air for you? Yeah, I mean, I would say that when I chose to come here, that was not by any means the uh, the expectation. Uh, you know, I chose to uh, join this project um, before the season started and um, uh, before seeing the results that we're seeing now on the pitch. Of course, there were still a lot of positive signals about how many things had been done well here. The most obvious and most 
Peyton is the stadium build and the training ground, but there was a lot of signals around season ticket deposits and merchandise sales where you could sense that there was going to be a, an amazing uh, reception of the team here. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, of course it's great to arrive here where things are going so, so well. Um, and you know, my role there has to be one to sit back a little bit and let, uh, things continue, uh, continue evolving. Um, what I would say is it also creates a little bit of difficulty when it comes to wanting to arrive and find those quick wins, but also, uh, manage expectations, no, because if, if we're able to be in the first position of the Western conference in our first year with our with the second to lowest wage bill of uh of the league why not keep this going forever no yeah. and you know you you and i know that uh that it's uh really exceptional what the team is doing now um and for that to happen and come together the first year can create some either uh, uh kind of visible or subtle expectations among among fans among press uh, even among staff. And I think we all need to recognize and enjoy this moment, but we need to be thinking about the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years. How do we make this sustainable uh, as, a, as a football club, as a business, as a, as a sporting organization? How would, um, how would you describe your leadership style? And we've got hints through the the, in the last hour of conversation, but like, do you have a specific way that you, that you like to work? Yeah, I mean, I think I like to, um, I like to be ambitious, and I like to uh, have a big vision, um, work to high standards, um, win. Uh, so all those I would capture under this desire to be ambitious. I, you know, I love creating an, an innovative, risk-taking culture. I think that uh, makes people come to work happier. Um, and then I, you know, I recognize that I like building personal relationships with the people that I work with uh, because that just makes job more fun. Uh, so I want to uh, be a good uh, leader, but especially a good partner and a good uh, support person to anyone in the organization um, and, and create that culture of a family uh, amongst the team. One of the first things that you asked um, me was the when is the next supporter meeting, and you made it a point to to come to a support commission meeting and to present to them, and you also spent some time at the the Santos party. Uh, they they pulled out a margarita. Um, how important are your relationships um, with the supporters, and are you going to be um, an accessible president for, uh, for for our fan base? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is you you can, you can see. Um, because how much I love the sport that I am a fan also. Uh, and you know, if I, if I could choose, I would be sitting in the supporter section at every game because that's how I most enjoy watching football. Uh, you know, in the, in, uh, in England, my best, uh, matches were going amongst the away fans, uh, to some of the, uh, uh, you know, with the visiting, uh, fans and the traveling fans, those were, those are the environments that I really enjoy, uh, the most. Uh, so, you know, because of that, I also want to, get to know the fans and connect with them. And, and I think in the first uh, 100 days or so, one of the priorities for me is to get out there and to meet as many of the people, of course, in the organization, but also outside of the organization. And fans is a really important uh, part of that. Um, you know, not just fans. I also obviously want to meet other, other club uh, presidents and CEOs. I want to go spend more time with the league. 
I want to spend time with uh, Adidas, Apple, other key stakeholders, our sponsors. Uh, we spend some time with uh, journalists and the press. So there's a lot of different uh, people around the club that I also want to go out there and meet, introduce myself to, and make them realize that they matter to us because they do. Um, and you know, a way to to demonstrate that is is to go and introduce myself uh, as one of the uh, important priorities in the first first 100 days. Have there been any surprises like early on, either with the the city or just things that you've seen that you're like, oh wow, this is cool? Yeah, I would say the um, well, I would say there was a lot of surprises. As I said, from the kind of interviewing stage, there was just almost like a surprise after another uh, of you know, good news and unexpected uh, unexpected findings. Um, but if I had to pick one, I would probably say the stadium atmosphere. Um, you know, coming to the games here and seeing a completely packed stadium, beautiful stadium, super well integrated into the city. Uh, so many people wearing uh, St. Louis City kit at the games. Uh, flags, drums, chants. Uh, that fan culture, to see that um, with a few months of uh, the club's life is pretty spectacular. That's so cool. Um, are there any projects that you're excited to, I mean, I know you've only been a short amount of time, but are there any things where you're like, oh, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the league-wide um, uh, opportunities are really interesting because there is really a moment in time now uh, between now and the World Cup where so many things are coming together and uh, we need to think about what, how we can work together as, as the different clubs in the league and making sure that these years are... Um, are maximized for the impact of uh, of soccer and football in the U.S. So I think that overall project, you know, multi-year project between now and say World Cup 2020-26, is a fascinating project with real kind of high impact uh, potential. That at a, at a league level, and then at a at a club level, I'd say there's you know I'm picking up a lot of different interesting projects. You know, we've been speaking about some you know more uh, video content that we can do. Uh, uh, with your team, obviously, I know how important it is to try to develop some young talent from uh, the St. Louis region. Would love to get more stuck into how uh, we're doing that uh, through the academy. Um, I know how important the uh, the female-led organization is here, and how can we dial up the importance of that and look for other initiatives we can do. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of different projects that I'm that I'm uh, delighted to you know find an opportunity to to get stuck in. And Lionel Messi is in the league. Uh, you know, you're a fellow countryman. You've seen him lift a World Cup. He's uh, pulling up trees at Miami at the moment. Um, are, do you think there is an opportunity for other clubs in the league to capitalize on the, the heat that he's bringing um, to, yeah. to viewerships and uh, shirt sales and across the league? Yeah, I mean, to have the opportunity of um, Messi, one of the best players in the history of the sport, maybe the best player to be finishing his career, uh, in the U.S. and in the MLS is an incredible opportunity that we all need to uh, um, find a way to grow with. You, know? um, we, you can already see it from the first few games that he's had, the amount of uh, um, uh, exposure that his goals, they've gone around the world. Uh, and even Inter-Miami shirts have appeared all over the place. I was in Europe just a few weeks ago uh, bringing my family back here, and I was impressed to see Inter-Miami shirts in Spain. Wow. Never would have expected to see that, and that's happened in a month. Uh, uh, so I think the opportunity uh, for Inter-Miami, of course, is 
great. Um, but I care about the opportunity for St. Louis City. And uh, what matters there is how that audience or that interest in the MLS can then be converted into real lasting interest into the league, um, not just from fans, actually, you know, primarily from fans, because that's what's going to drive uh, long-term success, but getting players also to want to come here and play in this league, more players, um, even getting more brands and sponsors wanting to participate in the league. So it's just there's so many more eyeballs now on uh, the MLS, including in St. Louis City, um, and you know it's an opportunity that we can't we can't waste. So 2023 has four and a half months left. Do you have any like personal like success goals, or you know like, like what what does success look like for you in uh, in the short term? Yeah, I mean, I think success for me, firstly, is uh, success for the team. Uh, and I would love the team to finish the season on a high uh, because I think it deserves it. I think the players deserve it. I think the staff uh, deserve it. The owners deserve it. Uh, the fans deserve it. Um, and that uh, would make me incredibly happy. Uh, I, I won't claim to have had um, pretty much any role in that success, um, but I think everyone deserves it. So that would be a huge sense of success for me personally. Um, and then, of course, you know, my, um, my own uh, definitions of success come through um, becoming a bit more integrated into the organization, getting to know more people, um, settling in, um, earning people's trust and that, I can, that I can help, starting to add value. Uh, and of course, making sure that you know my family is is well settled, if, and if we can achieve those things this year, that'll be an amazing uh, 2023. Fantastic! We have a little tradition on this show um, that we end with a message to the fans. Like, uh, do you, do you have a little message that you'd like to share for the fans because they're all listening? Um, I think fans know this, but the key message for me would be to to not. Uh, overlook this opportunity as a moment in time where uh, this will become history for the, for the city, uh, for the people here, where people will want to remember this and say, I was there. And I was there that first season, or those first three, four, five years of existence of a sports team in my city. Um, it's really unique um, and, uh, and it's very, very filled with emotions win or lose. Uh, so just invite anyone who hasn't yet had an opportunity to connect with this club to not miss out on the opportunity to do so in its first years of life. Fantastic. Well, that brings us to the end of the City Voice podcast. Diego, that was um, brilliant. Thank you for giving us so much of your time and so much insight into you know where you've been and where you want to go. Um, if you're listening to this uh, on Apple or Spotify, give us a five-star review. Leave a uh, leave a nice message and ask Diego to come back at the start of next season and maybe he will. Um, but Diego, thank you very much for your time. That was brilliant. Thanks, Pete. Ciao for now.